0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seedcamp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Oh, look at that. We're live. Excellent. Welcome, everyone. So this is a new format Um, we're exploring. Um, Really excited to have you guys join us. Uh, we have two guests, Johnny and Devin, and we're going to be talking about the future of online events and how to create your own and workshops and other fun stuff. So with that, let's get started. First of all, for those that don't know who I am, I'm uh, one of the two managing partners at SeedCamp. And with us, we have uh, two guests, as I mentioned earlier, Johnny and Devin. But I want to start off with having you introduce yourself, Johnny. Um, we'll talk about hopping in a bit, but it would be great for the listeners to listen more about how you came about with the idea.
1: Sure. So, uh, hi everybody. So, I'm the founder of Hopin. We started about one and a half years ago, uh, building it basically just at home uh, while recovering from an illness. I spent a lot of time. Uh, I'd say four years actually uh, circulating the idea before I actually did it. It was due to the illness. I spent a lot of time at home, couldn't travel very much, so I wanted to figure out a way to kind of connect with people. Uh, online so that whether it's uh you know via video or or even by chat I tried everything you know slack groups facebook groups because I was so ill essentially and I realized there was no way to to do that online but if you had met someone so if I you know did connect with someone over zoom or over some other video conferencing tool uh I would be able to your brain kind of registers serotonin and everything's kind of natural now and I just thought you know if you're is there any way to do that online you know that synchronous like basically concurrency that you get an event where everyone there is just here to meet each other uh because obviously we're all interested in that we all join groups that we're interested in but we don't actually connect we just kind of just get ingest content <laughs> so uh that was the idea and that's where it was built from essentially great well Devin. Yeah, uh, would love to hear a little bit more about you.
2: Yeah, well, I'm one of the venture partners at SeaCamp, so I work alongside Carlos and the investment team there. But I mostly work with the the companies in the portfolio and product and tech. So I spend a lot of time looking at like what people are building, how we can support that. You know, any shortcuts or cool hacks we can do. Um, and a lot of that draws on my experience of starting companies beforehand. So before that, I was working on a business called Founder Centric, where we ran events. So we did lots and lots of stuff in person, though we had you know, started experimenting with online events, but failed horribly for the reasons stated by Johnny. And, and before that, I ran product at a company called List, which I founded, uh, and you know, was there in the early days and left as we started to grow into our Series A. And before that, I was one of those valley kids who wanted to build a startup and try it and had a spectacular failure on my hands. Uh, so, yeah, drawing all those experiences of, like, building tech both from a very uh, unrealistic perspective and into a very realistic perspective. That's sort of what I try to bring here. And then uh, we recently published a book called The Workshop Survival Guide, which takes a lot of those experiences of trying to teach people and then distilling our pedagogy at uh, Founder Centric into a guide on how you take a simple concept like, oh, I want to teach someone how to make bread and turn that into an educational experience where people actually walk away actually learning something, not just watching someone talk for a while. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's where we're going to
0: cover a little later. I want to have you take some of that content from your book and then seeing how that can manifest itself in an online platform as, as the future of, of things start uh, becoming more and more about online events. And I think, you know, the time, the time is very much now, Johnny. Like, honestly, you couldn't have asked for a better time to have launched a company like Hopin'. Um just full disclosure, we're investors in, in Hopin, very proud to be one of your first investors. And, you know, we saw that, but we could have never expected this would have happened this this way. And maybe I know that you shared a little bit about why the background of why you started um, Hopin, but maybe you can walk us through what what is it? Like, I know some people are online on the platform at the moment, but what is the objective of it? Is it just simply replace events from an analogous point of view or is it more than that?
1: So I'd say uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, we, it's called an online events platform. We, that's what we call it. But essentially what I look at as Hopin is, is more of a venue. So the real question that comes with that is like like, uh, what type of event are you hosting? And is it better suited for real life? Or is there, uh, is there some things that you could do on Hopin that you wouldn't be able to do? So let's start with unpacking Hopin. Hopin at the moment is, is essentially an event builder in a venue. So imagine you have this open space. I've given you this gigantic warehouse. And some of the blocks that you can play with filling in that warehouse is like, okay, you can put a stage in there. Maybe you can put an expo. Um, You can put some rooms for people to network. You can set up a schedule that's very clear. And basically you can build these blocks together and create the event that you want. So bring that analogy and kind of bring it online. Uh, We're that virtual space where you can just add and remove things. So if you're hosting a workshop, Perhaps you'd use the stage for the keynote and then you'd use some of our meeting rooms uh, to break it down further, let's say into smaller group discussions. If you're hosting a conference, maybe you'll probably need the expo space as well because you're going to have booth providers in there. And so we try and offer that interactivity, the engagement, the networking, because those are the core problems that haven't been solved through you know uh, online events before. You know, Right now, they've existed for a while, webcasts, webinars, all of those things, are content streams as well uh you know you're streaming video and those are important to hop in because obviously the important uh like people are watching right now the hop in event uh that we're using for this podcast is mainly just a stream there's some q a in there which makes it a little bit more engaging but um you know the area or aspects that we love are you know our sessions area uh because you can bring people in from the audience to ask questions almost like a QA press conference if we were running the same th- thing um you can do all all sorts of stuff in regards to the actual engagement and networking, and I think that's ultimately the problem we're solving. The how do you engage and network online? As simple as that.
0: Yeah, fair enough. On that note, let's look at what the future of engaging people online is. I mean, let's let me, let's take it to extreme form, right? Um, the extreme form of this is all the science fiction that you see, like Ready Player One, where you know we're entering entirely into the virtual space, but. Of course, that's like one extreme form. Then there's just the nature of bringing people together and having them communicate. You know, there's there's some elements that are only possible to watch in person. Just like here, like we can see each other's facial expressions. So what is the future of events? You know, in light of what's going on in current events, what is the future of online events? Is it just a matter of the number of events that will blossom in uh, online versus offline? Is it just that people will have a preference or is there still some technology that needs to be built to make it more connected in the way that you connect in person?
1: So uh, that's a great question. So like, it's a question that I'm constantly, it's like the only question I, that keeps me up. <laughs> what does the future of events look like? And I'd say it's, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite an interesting one because it's like, all right, let's look at the events market itself. The entire events market, I think is like something like 1.1 trillion. If you take the mm. entire thing and then you unpack it and you have probably, musicals festivals like events are a lot of different things they're not just business conferences and meetups etc and so let's say business conferences meetups workshops around 40 to 50 percent of that uh percent of that market now could hoppin or could what we've built today solve that issue of that 40 to 50 percent which are business orientated or meetup orientated or whatever i think yes i think probably yes and a little bit more i think we can provide a little bit more value than what you could do physically now if you ask me about comedy shows uh you know all these other different types of events that are more on the entertainment side no i, I think today we're not there and I, I i think we need more uh basically to think about more how do we solve that and that's what we're at Hopin. we are focused on like kind of being that venue so even if it's a comedy store uh, a comedy show so like if i tell a joke at the moment if we were on hop you know, there's an eight second delay between what everyone sees and what we're, we're working on bringing that down to one second delay so if i tell a joke and i want to get feedback uh, from the audience as a comedian i can then immediately hear the joke and immediately laugh and i think you can see uh, across the entertainment side of things there's a huge gap and and that's 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 the only place where i'd say uh how ca- will the future be online i'm not sure for business conferences meetups uh expos all the other stuff that we're currently covering I have no doubt that uh, you know, it'll slowly move from the physical space to maybe the hybrid space with the slow movers where they'll say, okay, I just want to maybe host the event physically for 100 people, but en- engage 100,000 online or 20,000 online. Um, you know, It's better for the environment, better for the world to start off that way and then move on to the online events. I have no doubt on that side. But it's, it sounds like the number one thing that is lacking with, with events to really, really be the
0: future is, is that audience speaker uh, link. Because everything else, because if, if there's disconnect, then if the speaker can't tell that you just got up to go to the bathroom or to go get a beer, then they wouldn't necessarily know to stop mid-joke and be like, are you going to come back or what, right? <laughs> and the, the the equivalent of that, of course, if you're in a more uh, traditional setting would be people are disconnected, they're looking at their phones, and there's no way to do that at the moment. And I guess it sounds like what we're waiting for is some form of that. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback is unbelievably important. The feedback loop. Well, talking about feedback loops, Devin, Hi. you are definitely, uh, for, for those of you that have never been to one of Devin's workshops, uh, they're probably one of the most uh, highly valued of all the founders that that I speak to. Um, and largely it's because you work a lot in focusing on getting feedback from customers and, and mm. getting feedback from the suite of people that uh, interfaces with the company and the founder. And I think w- what I wanted to explore now is shifting a little bit onto... If the future, at least for the next six months, is largely online, for anybody who's hosting an event, what are the fundamentals that can enable them to have an effective event online? So for you, Johnny, and and for you, Devin, it's how can we leverage your technology to do that? But Devin, maybe we start off with you. Yeah. What are the things that you propose in your book that could be usable on a platform?
2: So I think think one of the core concepts that we really built on, uh, that Rob and I were really working on when we started writing the book, is trying to think about... Why some workshop or educational experiences, be them like lectures or some sort of hands-on thing, are just more interesting, engaging, and enjoyable than others. And like how we can start to build that into a framework. And one of, one of the concepts you really distilled is this idea around the audience's goodwill towards the people they're watching. And this could be the audience of your five friends around a dinner table listening to your terrible story about that time you got stuck in the mud. Or it could be an audience of 10,000 people who are sat in front of you listening to your lecture. And what we sort of came across, both from our own experiences, very much anecdotal evidence, but then also looking at a lot of the formal research, is this idea that when someone sits down to learn something from you, they've kind of made this unofficial contract with you, being like, I'm giving you my time, and in return, you're going to teach me something. And so, quite uh, realistically, the longer you take to deliver anything interesting, the more they hate you. Because mm. like they're like, I've given you my time. Why haven't I got it away yet? And so we formed this idea, and I'm, I'm interested how Hopping can like really start to address this around your job as an educator or, or as a speaker is to consistently deliver these little like knowledge bombs, these little like hits of knowledge heroin, to get the audience being like, oh, ooh, that's interesting. Oh, that's, oh, okay. I didn't think about that before. And so we think about structuring content, be it like a five-minute chat or a six-hour conference. It's this idea of like taking those little bits of truth and space them out evenly. So every, we, we use shorthand of every 20 to 30 minutes, you leave them with something new that's tangible and like matches their expectation. So if you're teaching a bread making course, right, obviously bread takes days to make. You don't just like talk about it for six hours while the bread rises. You're like, let's talk about different flours. Let's talk about gluten. Let's talk about why kneading with hands is better than machine or, or vice versa. I mean, I'm making this up as I go. And so this idea of continuously delivering learning is like a core concept that underlies our entire framework and everything else we do around like scheduling and different formats of speaking and Q and A's. It's all about how you make sure you're always hitting those high notes throughout it. And I think like your point to like why webinars are often quite so flat is you're sitting there and watching someone talk for an hour and somehow I'm supposed to like stay still for an hour in 2020. Like that's crazy. So maybe to throw it over to you, Johnny. Like, how is how can we start to solve that using a platform like this?
1: Well, you said something really interesting about the time. You know, that's, that's yeah. such an interesting observation. Like that time is the most important thing because that's what you're basically trading to the person. Yeah, it's the currency. Yeah, it's the currency. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that you know if you attend a physical event to learn something, the one thing you know you're getting is that interaction with the speaker there. Mm. Um, and so if you attend a physical workshop, maybe it's a question that you can just randomly ask. Maybe it's the facial observations that you can make to that person while he's speaking to get him to talk a little bit uh, more about a topic because he notices you're really engaged. Yeah. And so there's some real value in there. But on the other, ty- uh, other side of it, the time it takes to attend the event is a lot longer than what you could do while you're typing emails listening to us at the moment uh, yeah. you know, on this podcast, for example. Uh, you could be just hearing us kind of in the background while doing 10 other things at the same time and basically just creating, uh, like getting that value or that currency in a lot more efficient way. So it, that's, I, think, I think that's where the interesting thing. But coming back to what you were saying about webinars, um, I think that's the, that, that's the big problem. Uh, you know, it is that audience engagement and interactivity. Yeah. Like how, how do you get that feedback? And that even goes back to what Carlos was saying. It's totally the feedback. If you're plugged in now, if we were plugged into the audience, so right now we can l- look at the chat and what people are asking, and I'm sure we're going to do that at some point. But um, you know, with some of our other areas, what we've focused on more is perhaps someone from the audience literally wants to come up onto this podcast, quickly jump on, ask a 10-second to 20-second question, um, and then maybe we go through a quick discussion with them, and then it goes off. That would be possible. And I think it's bring, bring that interactivity to a real workshop, like... You know, you've probably experienced many workshops, and how how basically you're getting like you're bouncing off each other. It's very rarely like a web like I doubt you go in there and for forty five minutes just talk at someone, yeah. you know, directly. Never. But that's yeah. ex- exactly what a webinar is. So, um, th- so, so that sounds what I think. like
0: yeah. So it sounds like there's a both a process and a technology element to it. The process sounds like you have to train the people who are organizing these things to build in these pockets whereby the technology can then enable a conversation with the audience. So it's like a, you know, back to the walkie-talkie days in a way where like, yeah. you kind of have to let go of the button to be able to hear what the other person might have a, a say on and then having ways of accumulating that. But uh, going back to, to some of those elements, Devin, I, I know that in the book you cover multiple things, so that's one of them. Yeah. What, other, what other nuggets would you recommend for somebody who's transitioning? Now, take the book, synthesize it into advice mm-hmm. you're giving somebody Who's just cancelled a three thousand person event yeah. in some major London Hallmark with, you know, a hundred speakers that have been scheduled over three days to come. What would be the top advice as they think about how to morph that onto a hopin'?
2: Yeah, it's tricky because obviously with live events there there is some some hidden things, aspects to like in-person meetings, which as Johnny brought up earlier. So there's the whole aspect around like the chance encounters and the serendipity, which as I'm sure you can mention later on, hop in can do. But at the end of the day, if someone's attending a business conference, like they probably have some goals in mind and there are those who are just there for the networking, which is can't really mold the content to solve that. But for those like learning, like attending to actually learn something or to come away with like that new aha moment to drive them forward, You know, a big a big part of our framework in the workshop book is around this idea of like, we don't care about how you deliver it. Is it a crazy workshop that involves Legos and spaghetti or is it a talk? The most important thing when you drill it down is talking about the learning outcomes. Like what are those five or six major ideas that you have to impart to sort of seal that contract? So in the same way that like you're exchanging or your audience is exchanging time for that information, you need to design that information to be super sharp. So when you do deliver it, they're like, oh, that's unambiguous. I get it. I might disagree with it, but now I at least understand it. Or hopefully they're like, oh, wow, that's changed my life. And that's like a big fundamental at, that underruns all of the workshops we built at Founder Centric. And we often get, you know, tooting my own horn, like really good feedback for it. But one of the reasons is because as we learned from delivering very crappy version of this workshop, what was most important, like refining that, like any product cycle you iterate and refine to find those learning outcomes. And so like the advice that we designed, which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure is the best way to do it is you start with like, what are those four or five things that I need to deliver? Just a sentence. So for example, to take the bread baking uh, example, it's like, okay, I need to show them what flour to water ratios are. I need to show them how long things need to bake an oven. I need to show why rising is important. Cool. As long as I walk away with those three concepts in mind, I've done my job. Now let me design the experience around it. Like way too often people sit down and say, okay, I got six hours to fill. How do I fill it? where you might have actually built a better thing if you step back, looked at those learning outcomes, and you're like, oh, there's actually an hour and a half of content here. Cool, everyone goes home early. We can get drunk early. Like, who cares? (laughs) Like, as long as they walk away faster, that's actually a better experience. So really starting from like those first principles of what am I trying to teach, and what are those big ideas, and then you can derive everything from that. Mm. Like, you're probably gonna design a better workshop from scratch. Mm. It's like classic editing technique of like, you need to write, 100,000 words to make a 50,000 word book. It's like that process, but Mm. just sped up. I mean, it sounds like
0: a lot of it is rethinking things from scratch, not just transplanting an agenda that was for a physical realm to an online
2: realm. Yeah, I mean, people look like people sort of become speakers or they become teachers by having gone through that process beforehand. So they see schedules and like our time slots and things as like default procedure but it's not we don't have to do anything that way mm. and if we actually flip it on its head and just say oh yeah yeah, i want to teach x what is the most effective way to do that quickly you'll discover you might actually do it much more faster or in a different format or maybe you need more time than they gave you and you can push back on that with the organizers mm. like least mm. eh, you come with evidence in that case rather mm. than just assume an hour is enough for something mm. Johnny, on on that last point, what advice would you give to
0: somebody? Again, same scenario that I, I gave Devin, right? Somebody who's just had to cancel a three or two day event uh, with maybe a hundred speakers or so and about three thousand people signed up uh, and and morphing it onto an online event on on Hopin, for example. what what advice would you give
1: them? I would uh, definitely give them the advice uh, of not pretending that it's a physical event. Uh, when you bring when you bring an event online, Essentially, there's uh, the good thing about Hopin is that we've been able to replicate most of the stuff that you get physically. Uh, let's say there's a 10% that you can't, but there's also 10% that's better online. And so if you completely recreate the event almost exactly like you did physically, well, a room is only limited by its size, but online, a Hopin session is unlimited. So you can have unlimited amount of people in that session. Uh, so for example, what we noticed with a lot of the event organizers coming to us now is like, yeah, we have 200 people, but it's a really important event and we wanted to get it out. But basically, there's only 200 people that we could have fit into the space that we had. I mean, the quick, quick, like if you're bringing it online, I th- I would say rethink the entire strategy behind why you're running the conference. Mm. You know, there's an option now to get 100,000 people in this event. Uh, no worries. And at the same time with the sessions, it's like, um, if if you were going to have some more private panels because you needed to run th- six things concurrently, for example, yeah, then perhaps uh, now you can do that online rather than having one after the after after the other after the other and wasting you know over three days when you can get all this content out and get people to choose the content they want to hear at the stage, uh, or sorry, in the, in the in the event at the same time. And on top of that, I mean, the last thing would just be uh, uh the last type of thing that can be differentiated is. You know, um, not only the expos, I mean, if they had an expo, we can give all the features in that regard, but more so in when it comes to the sessions and like what's capable. And online, uh, someone attending this event. I mean, how awkward it would it, how, how awkward it, would it be if there's like a four-person com- conversation happening in real life, and there was one guy jumping in and out of like all these different conversations, yeah, just like, oh, and then jumping out into another one. And, uh, but online, that's no problem. No one knows what the guy, that the guy is doing. He can go and listen and then jump to another one. And so I, I just, I'd pr- my number one advice would be try and remember that it's a different, it is the same thing, and you can get all the value to your attendees, that, uh, the same stuff that would make them pay or make them hungry to go to the next one. But you don't have to necessarily do it the exact same way as you would physically. Hmm.
0: That's very good advice. And actually very much in line with um, one of the questions that just came up. And it has to do with um, the, the kinds of uh, noise that can be generated when having so many people in a conference. So he talks about... Um, in, in meetings where there's a live chat uh, it can be quite noisy especially as the audience grows. What product features do you think we'll need to see to make functions and functional events work better in that context?
1: So we, we've got it already so that's a great question. I mean uh, so right now we're using the Hopin Stage. Uh, the and Stage is made for keynotes. It's made for everybody to be looking at what we're doing and it's meant to be very webinar-y let's just say. <laughs> uh, you, you can't just... Uh, You can't basically have uh, a large... I mean, we're adding some features to give... uh, Like I mentioned that feedback loop, the audience feature. But um, you would use the sessions feature in Hopin uh, because in each session in Hopin, it has its own private chat. So even though there's 100,000 people attending the event, for example, and when you attend a 100,000-person event, what you usually see is the chat just kind of looks like a lottery machine, like (laughs) (laughs) or or the casino thing when you push the thing. But... um, uh, what you can do in Hopin, I mean, you'd set up different sessions so that would, you would split people out into these different groups where they have more selective and private chats so that it can be more valuable to them. Uh, c- complete tangential to the question
0: uh, that that he asked, but maybe just out of curiosity, you know, how like in an event, there's a lot of social pressure for you not to speak up if you're saying something that's not relevant or dumb. And furthermore, if you're continuing after you've asked one question with another question, another question, another, people are like, hey, man, sit down. <laughs> and then they might even take the microphone away from you. Whereas with chat, you can't quite do, what, what, what interesting features do you think we'll have against having that kind of
1: like, if you will, taking over the thread? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about our, our sessions in Hopin is that you can pick a moderator. And unlike in real life, where grabbing the microphone off someone is quite difficult. They can press a button and kick the person out. (laughs) All right. Totalitarian. Going nuclear. Yeah. I mean, mean, no one would know that, that you could just say he's disconnected.
0: (laughs) Anna Willett says, how do you measure engagement with online events? What metrics should we be tracking?
2: Oh, man. This is interesting. Maybe I'll turn this into a small question for you, Johnny, which is like one, one of the things we got a lot of feedback when we were proofreading the book is like, how do you know if you did well? Like as, as the speaker educator, like how do you know if you did well? And and our answer is good for in person, but it kind of falls flat in a virtual space. So our answer person is like when you're physically with people in a room, it becomes very obvious if they're disinterested, you know, they become unattached to the content, start checking their phones. Maybe some people actually leave, which has happened to me before. Um, and so you can get a really good pulse of the room very quickly on whether like, you need to speed up, skips over something, maybe remix your content. Maybe just say, you know what, guys, this doesn't seem to be hitting anyone. I'm done. Go have lunch. Let's pick up after the fact. How how can we do that in
1: a virtual context? Because,
2: yeah, that's new to me.
1: I would say just like, uh, it's. It, I mean, the three things that would be important online that we are trying to help organizers set up in their events. One is what were the most, what, where, when were people most engaged? Was it when they were streaming at what time? Uh, so was it like at 3.30 p.m., for example? Is that when most of the people were, were streaming? Or was it, for example, I mean, did most people return to the event? I mean, it would be the normal, like, yeah. what's the MPS score? <laughs> you, get, be, you get sort of objective analytics now because you can literally see engagement. Because exactly. as you said,
2: they have no; they can just leave the room or move on to a different stage.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the problem, we can literally track a lot better online than we can in a physical uh, Mm. event.
0: What do you think about access? What do you think about the idea of of having different tierings? The specific question from Justin is, access to events can be free or paid. Can Hopin allow a paid sub-tier for users to speak directly to the organizer, keynote speaker, etc. after the conference ends? Are you selling features, uh, Justin? Because that's one
1: of our that's one of our core features for our sessions area. Is Justin a plant? Yeah, just, I just I think he is a plant. <laughs> uh, no, that's one of our core key features. So what you could do is, for example, a workshop. We've seen it many times. So they'll someone will host a workshop on a hop in, and so what they'll do is you'll sell two tickets. One of them's free. One of them's a hundred thousand dollars, for example, or like realistically a hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, let's say, and. You'd give everybody who got the free ticket access to the keynote in the stage where, where we are now. But then you would say, okay, only those who paid for the ticket, for example, can get the private Q&A session mm-hmm. uh, where they can turn on their video and literally get the engagement or, or, or value directly from the speaker that they wanted in one of the sessions. Uh, we see that all the time. It's one of the features that's only on Hopin and uh, one of the many, just saying. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> nice. Um slight tangent to that one. Uh, one of our biggest fans, Jenny Hunt, asks the following, uh. how might you suitably replicate the atmosphere of a live in-person event online? The atmosphere, not the number of people on a green dot, but the atmosphere.
1: Ah, uh, Comes back to that audience feedback loop, which is like mm-hmm. one of the core things. I uh, Carlos, you've probably seen me murmuring over it every time I bring it up how important it is that w- we want to solve that problem. How can I get how can I get the speaker who's speaking on stage to hear people laughing or hear people clapping, uh, you know, to get get him that real feedback? And how can I get the audience to, to basically hear the other people around them that, oh, my God, like everyone's so loud here. Everyone's so engaged. Um, you know, right now we can do that through uh, basically the audience counter to tell you how and, and by t- showing you how quickly the chat's moving. And also by showing you uh, basically in different sessions how many people are in there and all the questions coming up. That's what we're limited to today about the atmosphere. Mm. And we can make it cooler. Like we're looking at all sorts of things like plugins, like audio plugins to make it. But I mean, those are annoying. So I'd say the big one comes back to the audience loop. It's like hearing the other people at the event if you want to toggle that on. Because uh, I think that would be awesome if, if we were right now doing this podcast and we could toggle in to actually hear the audience and so if there was enough people clapping we'd be able to hear it and if there's enough people saying someone sucks they'd also hear it
0: yeah no it sounds it sounds like from a psychological point of view because the audience is all separate in different rooms it's how do you aggregate that social pressure of clapping you know like when somebody stands up when there's a good performance after the theater you you Mm -hmm. also actually on reflection this was spectacular i'm going to stand up as well right and it's like how do you replicate that online
2: um to go, go back to the to recall that goodwill idea, one one of the big pieces we have in design is switching between formats. So this idea of focusing on one keynote speaker and then twenty minutes later talking to the partner next to you, to 20 minutes later doing a QA with a broader group, then going back to the keynote speaker is one of the best ways to like keep people engaged because it mm. forces them to refocus their their sort of context. Mm. I care about someone of authority. Now I'm trying to debate with someone next to me. Now I'm going back to tackle with a problem myself and then how do I do that? I think like, I this is not really drawing to an answer, but like, trying to recreate that in a virtual aspect of context switching is one of the best ways to keep people engaged, mm. because you force them to rethink the situation they're in.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. All right, so uh, we have a couple of, like, all the questions are coming in now. Yeah. This is coming in. This is great. So Dimitris asks, since we're talking about engagement, how about planning to work around sponsor engagement needs, brand, product, placement, et cetera? So basically focusing from the sponsor's point of view. Other than just having like the banner sponsored.
1: Absolutely. So basically what we see right now, because that's the question we get from a lot of these conferences. I mean, the first thing they ask about is their sponsors. So just you have the banner and you have all that sort of stuff. Now I'd ask you, you know, there's three different areas with Hopin. So let's say there's the expo area, which is what's uh, special about Hopin, let's say for conferences and fairs. Is it the expo area isn't just a static image of your sponsors. You can click in there could be a live sales rep who's on video that you can then engage with turn on your video get a demo get questions live inside the booth that's something only on hopin now taking that one step further and let's say you had gold silver and platinum sponsors which is an example that we have received so i would i i, I what i say is that, i mean the same thing that when we, when we're doing demos we say basically you know for all your let's say lower tier maybe give them all a booth Give every single one of them a booth. Anyone who's paid over X amount of money to you, uh, give give each sponsor a booth where they can have a live sales rep, or they can put a product video where attendees can basically click register and uh, give them, you know, exactly what they need, which is those registrations, and tell them how many people were in their booth and how and how many people engaged. So they get that sales rep. But let's say if they're if they bought one step higher than that, you could give them a panel in the sessions area. So you could say, hey, we're going to also give you uh, someone from your team or. Can speak in one of our, you know, side panels or whatever at your conference, and if they're a gold sponsor, I mean, you can see where this is going. I'm going to say, you know, keynote, one of the keynote talks, uh, put them in the panel. So right now, where we are in the stage, where it's like one to everybody, maybe that's a good idea. And I think that's actually quite similar to how it runs at a conference. Yeah. Uh, the only difference is they can give like a bigger space, they can say or something like that. But for for the most part, I think it's almost the exact same. Well. Um one of the things
0: that we wanted to make sure was that we ended it with a view that people can continue the dialogue. So one of the great things that this format allows us to do is continue that dialogue. A lot of the questions that are coming in right now are ones that I think are probably easy to, to answer in terms of how to best optimize. Mm. Um, what's the best way for people to get reach, reach out to you, especially anybody who's thinking about building uh, an event online?
1: Mm. I'm like going through my mind, I'm like, if this is a recorded podcast, should I mention my email online? <laughs> <laughs> uh, send them yeah. to
2: hop in dot Two, Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. send them to team at hopin.two. Yeah. I would, I would honestly, I would say uh, my own email, but I'm just, I, I <laughs> you're just. You're going to get flooded. Yeah. I saw
0: your calendar. Yeah, you're, you're flooded. You're flooded. But um,
1: yeah, it, it's very much of the times right now. And, yeah. And it
0: sounds like, you, your team can be very helpful in helping people think through how to organize their events. Absolutely,
1: we're keen. Uh, if you if you also set up on uh and to the get uh, the early access, uh, you know, pop up modal that we give, we're really active with that. We send an email within like six hours, and we can at least get like, especially if you're heavily affected by the coronavirus, uh, we're pushing people right to the top of the wait list. If if especially if you basically, it's not just if you wanted to host a virtual event and you have some time, but if you literally have to cancel something and are losing business. Uh, we're happy to help and move it right forward.
0: Great. And Devin, uh, for those people that are thinking about how to organize, reorganize, <laughs> what's the best way for them to learn about this? Obviously the name of the book, but maybe other resources that, that you recommend or how to get in touch.
2: Yeah, well, you can check out all of the resources of the new book on workshopsurvival.com. Um, links to the book there. We have some uh, articles and other like uh, slide deck material up there to check out the basic procedures and some examples of how we do it. Uh, but honestly, it's one of those things that just start creating content. I mean, some of the best speakers we've met, they just started online, streaming on YouTube or on Twitch, and people are now using as educational platforms. So it's more than just like awesome game vids. Um, but basically, like, if you have something that you feel you have expertise at, you can probably build a workshop around that, uh, either just for fun, to help practice that expertise, or maybe even build a business around it. So mm. give it a try. You have a huge audience out there now. Excellent.
0: Well, with that advice, yeah. guys, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.